This is the Evolution Exchange podcast, a channel that connects some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Andy. I help connect businesses with the best UX and UI freelance talent. And today I'm your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. And today we're going to be talking around moving through a project. So as always, we've got four guests that are going to ask four questions and we're going to discuss them all about moving through a project and all that that entails. So before we get into the questions, we're going to go through a round of introductions and say hello to everybody. So first of all, Arthur, please could you introduce yourself for us? Yeah, with pleasure. Uh, Thank you for having me here. So I'm Arthur, I'm a game director at Madbox. Uh, I have a business background and always been passionate about uh, games and how we craft games. And I started at Madbox three years ago uh, when the company was doing uh, hyper casual mobile games. I started as a as a game producer, and I had the chance to work on uh, more than one of the different uh, small titles. Uh, had the chance to fail a lot uh, because uh, when you're doing hyper casual games, you're just testing things, and um, and iterating. So I was helping on project organization, game design, product management in general, and um, Madbox pivoted uh, two years ago towards more what we call casual games, casual mobile games, which are uh, games with a bit more depth. And I had the chance to to become a game lead and team lead. Uh, and with my team, we crafted a game uh, called Pocket Champs uh, that we had the chance to scale uh, recently on, on the stores uh, this summer. Uh, and it's a, it's a great success for us, first uh, casual game of the company. And uh, yeah, we're super happy about it. And we're now working on uh, making it a long lasting experience for the players. Amazing. Thank you very much. I'm sure it will be. Let's go to Anna. Anna, please, can you introduce yourself? Hey, Andy. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, my name is Anna. I work as a producer here at Black Forest Games. I've been here uh, for a year now. Uh, my previous experience was uh, mostly in project management and some customer support as well. Here at Black Forest Games, uh, I've helped ship a title, which was Destroy All Humans 2, Reprobed, uh, which was released uh, last summer. Uh, And I've been working mostly on cinematics, so cutscenes, dialogues, and also some uh, art support as well. Um, So yeah, really looking forward to the podcast. Thanks. Amazing. Thank you very much. Jen, let's come to you. Yeah, so hello, uh, I'm Geneviève, so you can call me Jen. Um, I'm a senior art director currently working for Ubisoft Montpellier. I've been there for three years uh, this week, actually. Uh, I've been actually working in the industry since 2003, working in very different, all sorts of different uh, 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 types of work, uh, uh, art-related. So I've been a character modeler, I've been a concept artist, I've been a lead artist, I've been a, a, a UI artist and, you know, anything in between. So I'm a jack of all trades. <laughs> and uh, uh, so my special power is that I'm an art director, but since I've been working as a lead for a long time, I've always liked to um, mutualize those two interests and talents. And uh, that's why I'm here to talk about uh, the topic. And uh, finally, what uh, a few games that I've worked on that you might know are um, Rainbow Six Siege, uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, and I was previously in my latest game, I was previously the project art director on Beyond Good and Evil 2. Perfect. Thank you very much. And lastly, Benoit. 
Hey, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me as well. Uh, I'm Benoit Deschamps. I'm a team lead level designer at Massive here in Sweden. I've been working in the video game industry for the last 14 years. Um, first off, I started on Splinter Cell Conviction, then started to work on the game that nobody knows, which is uh, Michael Jackson, The Experience, which was a predecessor to Just Dance. I'm glad that some of our work was useful. That was great. But then after that, I went into doing Far Cry 3. Uh, it was a fantastic experience. After that, it was Black Flag, uh, still in level design. Then after that, it was on Rainbow Six Siege. And after that, I went on Watch Dogs 2. And then after that, I went into Far Cry 5 and then Far Cry 6 as a team lead. And then after that, I was invited to come here in Massive to work on an undisclosed project. And yeah, um, team lead is a very nice way for me to melt into some sort of my love for human beings and my skills as a level designer. Love my job and I love the project I'm on. And then I've seen a whole lot of production, so I have a lot to say about it. That's it. Well, I think you're wrong, Benoit. We've, um, oh, uh, you know, sorry. a lot of people know Michael Jackson, the experience, at least. Do, I do. do they? Do they? Oh. <laughs> Happened once that someone played that game, but uh, yeah, no, that's good. Been been uh, very lucky in my career. Amazing, amazing. Well, absolute wealth of experience from every guest. So we should have a lot to talk about around lots of different aspects of moving through a project. So Arthur, you're going to kick us off then with the first question of the day. So over to you. Yeah, thank you. So the question I had for you um, is about. Um, you know, crafting creative products. Um, I know that uh, when we are working on games, we want to plan for something that we know where we want to to arrive in the end. Uh, we would like to we we plan for an outcome. So, for example, uh, as a player, I want to leave this feeling, uh, but it, we don't always exactly know what it takes to make it happen. So, my question is, how can we plan for something we can't fully anticipate? And how have you been doing in your previous experiences? Great question. Anybody want to uh, to kick us off with their thoughts on that? Or am I go, I'll pick on someone. I I don't mind. I don't <laughs> mind starting. Uh, it happens a lot in level design because it's uh, either it's a macro, so the project wide is micro, like just a layout. It's always about like an intention, a vision. So the first thing I do, and usually it's a very good way to start, you just assemble all the constraints. <laughs> what can you not do is very inspiring because the worst thing you could say to a team it's let's do the universe, no constraint, do whatever you want. And then you get lost into what would be interesting or, you know, or I don't know, fun. It's a very subjective topic. So as long as you get more and more constraint, you get a very precise view and then you can move forward like a very interesting goal. Sometimes not ideal, it's not perfect, but at least you got a good direction and then it can evolve afterward, after that. Uh, at least that's my vision for it. That's, Jen, a, perhaps? that's a really good point. Jen, did you want to come in yeah, on that? Yeah, I can go. Um, for me, is whenever I hear as a player, it always um, pulls me to the idea of what putting myself in the player's shoes and their experience. And I'm a big fan of thinking holistically when I make games. Of course, I think about my craft, but I also think about other crafts and the way that we work together. Um, and ultimately, we do that to feed the global experience that the player will, uh, uh, will live through. And I think a, a really important thing to help us um, have a, a good sense of where we want to go is to establish pillars 
uh, to establish, to articulate those pillars. And, and, and I mean, there are several layers of that. We can have like very high level game pillars and then uh, uh, our crafts pillars. But for a specific feature, there's still like that layer where we can go uh, uh, talk about okay, these are the pillars of the experience and they can be divided through different crafts or maybe different um, uh, different pieces of the experience, but also um, putting priorities on them because not everything is equal. Uh, so what's the most important thing that we need to um, have at the end? And, you know, what's the uh, nice to have that's really going to still like feed uh, uh, the cool part of the experience and, and and later on what's, I mean, it could be cool to have, but it's, you know, it's fluff in the end. It's not so important. Uh, so that's how I go about it. Oh, really good points. Uh, Anna, let, let's hear from you on this then. All right. Uh, yeah, really good question and and uh, input so far. Uh, so uh, I'm more of a big picture kind of person here as a producer. So uh, uh, our angle is more of, okay, just try to define as much as possible, as early as possible. Of course, once you begin a project, there are a lot of unknowns. Um, but uh, one of the ways to tackle that, just start with the main project risks. Uh, so what will be uh, the main uh, challenges uh, for that particular project, uh, either for something new or for something uh, that is uh, yet you will do again. There will always be uh, just risks that need to be uh, tackled. And then you set a plan for how you want to address them. Uh, so, of course, you set mitigations. So, how would we fix that? And then you also need to plan if by any chance we can't either include this piece of tech or have this type of combat or whatever it is, what is the fallback plan? So, then you have to have a minimal viable product sort of uh, overview of things. So, what would be the bare minimum that I would need for this? in terms of, of the experience uh, for for how the player interacts with that uh, vehicle or anything like that. And then to see if at least that would uh, guarantee a satisfying outcome for the game. And this can be at feature level and overall for when we are talking about in terms of uh, overarching vision and pillars for the game. And then as you can start answering those questions and define things, uh, things start falling a bit more into place and it's clearer um, like which unknowns are still there and then what you might need to deal with uh, in terms of decisions. But of course, like the ultimate decision, try to include as much time as possible for unknowns. Like that's also one thing if you like you have your budget time wise, always include a generous uh, amount of time for whichever notes you will have in the project. I was also just going to ask that Anna on, on what you were saying, because you were saying about you plan for things that could potentially go wrong, probably from experience of other projects like, you, you know, you, you have the experience, this has gone wrong in the past, this could happen here. How much time would you put into something or set aside for stuff that you have no idea that this could happen? Like just set an amount of time for stuff that could happen and an amount of time aside for things that 
no idea but something could happen so let's just plan for anything just in case i think the rule of thumb overall is about 20 percent if possible but just try to like it's never enough but at <laughs> least like you know like you will need to someone even on, on a feature level someone gives an estimate of a certain number of sprints for a feature to be completed you always need to add on top of that at least 20 percent guaranteed for either new iterations uh, or something and it's unexpected that uh, might come up. Benoit, did you want to come in on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, when I talk about constraint, these are not just designed, but yeah, a producer coming at you telling, hey, by the way, you got 10 months. That is a huge constraint. And like, okay, that reduces the scope, what I can build and how I can build it. So, but I believe I made a mistake related to your question where the constraint is come after the pillars. Yeah, I was kind of taking into account that obviously you build the pillars, which is a very simple way to express the vision of a game. And so defining those pillars are obviously the first step. Then you come in with constraint. And then I believe you got enough of that texture to create that tunnel towards where the game can go. And after that, it's just the magic and randomness and all the factors that you cannot really control, which is very distressful when you think about it. But uh, games are very complex and having a vision for that, like if you believe you have a concrete vision for your game at the beginning of it, that's false. You can just have maybe pillars and then you can progress towards that. Mm -hmm. I believe that's how you can anticipate as best as you can at least. Go on, Jem. Yeah, um, just a tiny observation, but I think it's also very important to involve the team once the pillars are established and the constraints to give them a, a framework of where we want to go to articulate it as, as best as we can and also to get their feedback. Uh, we all have blind spots, uh, uh, you know, wherever we are in the hierarchy uh, or uh not even just the hierarchy, but in terms of our experiences and our sensibilities. And so I think it's very important to get the feedback from everyone on the team to, to, to get a better global sense. And sometimes we think something is not going to be possible for X or, you know, Y reason. And in the end, it's the opposite. And, uh, uh, you know, the opposite is also true. Sometimes we think, oh, this is going to be super easy or this is so obvious, like we have to do it. And then in the end, because of uh, uh, maybe technical reasons or other reasons, we, we can't do it. And finding solutions with the team, I think, is also, uh, uh, you know, one of the best ways to be better prepared at the very least. It doesn't mean that we can avoid any, like, everything but uh we can be prepared arthur let's uh let's come back to you then obviously your question and you know hearing what you you've got to say after hearing from the other guests there as well yeah it's super super interesting question and i had some notes about it and i'm happy that we have uh, similarities uh, in uh, in what we believe on this uh, i just want to add on uh, what jen just said because i believe involving the team not only on the planning and how, how we're going to tackle what we want to do but also on the, the meaning of what we're trying to achieve uh, will also allow many um, small decisions taken by the team along the way that will maximize your your outcome in the end and uh, make sure you will uh, reach what you want to what you want to achieve in the end so uh, definitely transparency with the team a lot of context on why we're doing things uh, will ensure that all the small decisions taken along the way with the unknown will be um, 
going to the right direction. So it's exactly the type of conversation we, we currently have with the team, how, how we can improve this. And it's uh, it's passionating. And uh, the last thing I, I wanted to add on this topic as well was uh, <clears throat> I think there's also a sense of um, it, it's not never going to be perfect. You know, you know, always need, need that kind of uh, closing mindset when you're crafting video games. And um, the good it, it's good when you can end up having something that you can test um so so you you try to achieve uh, to achieve something to to bring something to players and then you can you can have a first sense of uh, okay do you uh, do, do we have the expected results with your players um and it's something you can have internally and for us on the mobile game industry we can very easily like a b test uh, for test things so just to mention that even though sometimes you target something, you you might want to stop some somewhere uh, with something that seems good enough and uh, have a first test with it to see how it goes and um, and analyze where you at compared to what you wanted to achieve. So depending on the industries, of course. But yeah, super super interesting discussion on this. No, it's a fantastic question uh, to kick us off with as well. So. Anyone want to say any last points on that before we move it on? Because it's a great first question, but no. Maybe, yes. Uh, yeah, it, go on. it is scary to make a game. I, I mean, some people mm. get in there like, oh, I got this ID. But quickly enough, you've based off like everything that you need to concretize that into a working fun vision. But uh, that's a great question. It shows just the vertigo effect you get when you engage into that adventure. So, nope, yep, that's a good question. Yeah. No, perfect. Well, thank you very much, Arthur. Uh, really good question. And we'll move it on into the second question then. So that's going to come from Anna. So Anna, over to you. Thanks, Andy. So uh, my question is uh, from a topic that uh, normally scares a lot of people. So um, I would like to know how you, you think uh, that the word cutting or cuttable content can be made into something more positive uh, or less negative, depending on how you use, look at it. But um, normally these are words that just cause a chill down the dev's spine. Any creatives uh, just like hate hearing about this. And as soon as you start mentioning that, you may need to consider that uh, when starting to plan for a project, they already no, 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 no. We don't want to 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 like think that we might want this and that might not end up in the game. So yeah, what uh, I think this is quite challenging. But how do you handle that? Really good question, Jen. Let's come to you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you, I think you you saw my uh, <laughs> my body language. Um, I think first of all, it's a question of, of framing. I think the word cutting is already yeah, it's scary. Um, I think reframing it into a reality check versus backlogging versus priorities is a, a good way to start. Um, I, I think. I mean, it's funny, I've been doing this for almost 20 years and every single project that I start, we're always like super optimistic and we think, oh, we're going to do this and that and it's going to be so awesome and oh, we're going to have this new technology or this time is going to be easy because we have new technology or a bigger team or, or whatever. And every single time there's always something that impedes or that means that it's more complex or complicated or, you know, all of these things. But I think... In the end, it's all about 
keeping, uh, um, you know, an eye on the big picture and thinking again about the experience that we want to deliver to the player and, and, and looking at the priorities. What are the, 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 the features or the pillars that still need to be addressed and that are the most important to get the best kind of experience that we can uh, craft and then lowering the, lowering the priorities on, um, you know, the elements and or the features or whatever type of content that needs to be um, uh, quote unquote cut. I would usually say that we put it in the backlog and, you know, see where we can go. There's one thing that I used to do when I was a lead was always making a timeline with very, um, very easy time blocks for, um, uh, you know, the weeks for everyone, for the entire, uh, for the entire team. And in the end, just looking at it through, um, you know, the months that were upcoming and looking at, okay, we've got maybe like two weeks of buffer, and we all know those two weeks of buffer are going to be eaten up by whatever emergency or you know someone's vacation or anything else. And so we already know that we can't do everything. So let's let's look at what we can do, what's the biggest priority and uh, uh, and start from there. But most of the time, I think like some some things are obvious in the fact that, they need to be cut because sometimes people will still like latch on to those ideas and that can also be an issue. Um, but most ideas, there's a way to leave them in the backlog without it being like too painful <laughs> and sometimes being able to bring them back on, especially nowadays, I think with um, games that have a, a longer lifespan, you know, ship is not necessarily the end of things. Um, but uh, maybe that's just me being a, a sneaky creative. So I'll end it there. <laughs> All right, Jen, that was perfect. Uh, Arthur, let's hear from you then. Yeah, thank you. I, I really agree with uh, with what Jen uh, discussed about uh, the priority and making sure these, these priorities are clear for the project and what we're trying to achieve. Uh, I also believe it's it's super important that uh, the, the whole team knows about it because um, uh, in the end, this cutting decision, uh, I, I agree that the word can be a bit harsh as well. So we tend to, to speak about depriorization on our side. Uh, and um, but in the end, the more we are like the project leaders are transparent on the context of the project, what we're trying to achieve, uh, why do we have these time bounds, uh, why, what are the priorities and why we believe uh, we should have these priorities, uh, the easier it is for the team to to accept uh, uh, depriorizing some feature or cutting some features, but also it can in the end uh, make it so the team uh, themselves uh, take their own decisions. Um, it's something we we we're trying to to improve uh, uh, over the projects here. But um, but yeah, the more the teams understand what's going on, the, the more they can you know find some things that they can do a bit uh, quicker, uh, things that uh, they can propose to remove, uh, different options for crafting stuff. So I, I really believe uh, cutting should be like a, a decision that everyone can buy in or at least understand in the end. So, so you have the, the buy-in of the team on it and uh, it doesn't feel like it's terrible people removing cool things from a, from a cool game idea. So that, that's <laughs> the way I, I see it. It takes time and uh, relationship building with the team. But in the end, uh, it's something that, uh, that uh, we, we can achieve, I think, uh, as project leaders. 
That's a really good point. And I think that what you said around the relationship type of stuff with, with the team is a really important part of that as well. Ben Wild, let's come to you then. What are your thoughts? Um, so first, good answers. Uh, cuts. I hate them. Uh, as a level designer, I deeply hate them. But but uh, with com- becoming lead, I got more perspective on it. Um, cuts are good. Uh, they're very, very sane, very good, very normal. So, And you see like someone's more senior, get accustomed to those. They're still like bargain, that sort of thing, but they get used to it. And that's okay because first you need to dream. You need to have this big bubble where you can inject a lot of ID. You need not to restrain yourself. And then cuts just kind of become more healthy for the whole production. That's that's the, the whole goal of this. But still, people don't like it in general. And the reason why, I believe, at least from my experience, because it is a grieving process. It is just grieving over a feature, over some part of the game. It's just that. It's just grieving. There's the denial phase. I don't want this to be cut. I love it. There's the anger. Like, no, I don't agree. It's not my decision. There's the bargaining. What if we change this thing? And, and then there's depression phase. Like, ah, anyway, it's useless and that sort of thing. I see that coming through the designer has been working on and artists and other people. And that's great. That's sane because people care very, very much. And I believe, yeah, the way to address that is simply, you named it, like, first, you explain to everybody, there's a good way to do cuts, you explain to everybody, communicate that well, depending on the level of the cuts, obviously, by emails, on person, you see uh, and look and discuss with the person that affects the most, let them a chance to explain themselves, because cuts, by nature, are subjective in general, so they will affect the scope and the game in a manner that don't not everybody shares. So there's a way to do that. And I believe just like talking is the first step to do this. And then, yes, it is art. And I feel for you, producer, sometimes that's great that you've got this <laughs> burden. Out of my hand, I'm just like managing the troops. That's all good. So, yeah. Well, Anna, let's come back to you then. So you said as well, you know, asking what other sort of tactics that people do as well to make this more positive. What about yourself? What, what sort of tactics do you use and, and how has it been for you? Well, uh, the main thing is what uh, Bernard just mentioned is the fact that people do get emotionally attached to their work. Of course, they put a lot of passion. This is an industry where I don't think there are people that are just doing this uh, as simply a job. It is something they really love doing and there's a lot of good talent. So, of course, once they hear that a piece of work they've been working on might not end up in the game, they get a bit defensive. But my positive outlook to it, I really do believe that cutting can ultimately sometimes even save projects and it can improve projects for sure. That probably will go for for any project. But I think it's more of just trying to uh, approach it from a different angle. Are we really losing something? Like, did we not gain? So my my boss uh, mentions the uh, cost benefit uh, sometimes. So it's like, uh, maybe we didn't really lose something. Maybe it's something that can be used in a different project. Maybe uh, the person or the people that worked on it have learned something that will already go into that project. Um, Maybe um, it's something, as Jen mentioned, that can move uh, post-release to DLC content. So um, there are different ways uh, to look at it. 
And um, for the current project where that is removed from, there's also the, the quality uh, aspect of the product overall. So uh, it's a matter of getting the team on board and getting them to explain, okay, do we want five okay uh, weapons or do we want three good, fun, well-polished weapons? Like, what would you prefer? Because once we ship the game with five weapons that are not up to their own standards, then how will they feel about it? So it's, it's, it's again, the big picture, the trying to understand like where things fit and what are the actual benefits from making these decisions, which aren't easy, but we can try to make the most out of them. So that's where the leads and, and production as well uh, come in. And it's, it's, it's uh, what Arthur also mentioned, just really getting the team to understand this and, 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 and get there in terms of, of how this can be perceived. Mm. Arthur, go on. Yeah, one thing that makes me think uh, of when Anna's talking about, uh, uh, for, for example, uh, being uh, features being in the gold and then sending DLCs, I think cutting uh, features can be very different depending on what type of project you're working on. Because um, from our side, working on mobile games, we, we know we can have quick iteration um, that we can send on store. And also uh, the type of game we're working on as our kind of game as a service that we know we, we're going we're gonna to iterate for uh, several months and certain years. Uh, so there is, you know, while, while cutting, we, we, we just re-replan, reschedule things. And I know for for because I worked at, at Ubisoft before GameLoft also. It, depending on the size of the project, depending on uh, the way you're gonna release your your game to players, um, cutting things have different meanings. Uh, and I, I'm thinking for for games that you you have to buy to play um, with, for example, no DLC or few few DLC. Uh, cutting a feature, I think, it has a very very different uh, meaning than than first, so so yeah, it's super interesting to have your your experience in this. And Anna, did you want to come back in on that just quickly? Uh, yeah, just one last uh, comment uh, tying it with this and what uh, something that uh, Jen, Jen also mentioned earlier. It's uh, also about the compromising with the team. Maybe we can just move that to the backlog with a lower priority and get the team to say okay to understand. Okay, maybe so if you do make those three weapons on time, for example, then we can go back to those other two and then see if we can still include them. So, and and give them a bit of, of, of wiggle room in terms of, of, of understanding that you don't really want to just get rid of something, but that you also open to, okay, if we will manage to make up for that time, then okay, maybe we can still make it. Maybe we can still do it. But as long as it's up to the standards that will make everyone happy, uh, regardless of internal ex external stakeholders, then um, yeah, maybe it's still maybe it can still happen. So again, try to be as positive as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good question and uh, really appreciate you asking it and a lot of good uh, good input there from everyone but we'll move it on to our third one halfway through so uh jem we're going to come over to you jane please yeah. could you give us your question um 
I think it's interesting, but because I think my question is a, a good uh, uh, continuation of this conversation. <laughs> so basically, uh, making games is by definition an iterative process, and we go through prototyping and concepting and production phases and everything in between. And uh, uh, not only on the project itself, but on features and also key elements. This can often lead to a lot of back and forth and changing direction and the inevitable time slipping regarding deliverables, um, especially on the creative side, I would say. So how do you or how would you handle this, um, both on the creative but also on the production side, so that creation is not inhibited or not too much, uh, but the project uh, product sorry, uh, doesn't suffer from a, a Duke Nukem syndrome either? Um, I guess this question is also... I mean, me coming from a game such as Beyond Good and Evil, where people know that it's been announced for a while and it's, it has not come uh, uh, out yet, but like how many other dozens of projects uh, go through phases where uh, sometimes you you have to kind of go back to an idea that was uh, abandoned later, uh, earlier, or sometimes you realize that your prototype needs to be, uh, 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 it needs to be redone for X reason. So how do you handle this um, without meaning that we just continue on the conception phase or maybe the pre well less so the pre-prod phase but especially the pro uh, uh, prototyping and concepting for uh, years on end really good question jen and i just want to ask one thing on that you mentioned at the end now that duke newcomb syndrome can you explain that for the people who uh, are listeners and myself <laughs> who oh. don't know what that is <laughs> So Duke Nukem was this game that was announced, I believe, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, that went through many revisions uh, because technology would improve and they would include it. And then they wanted to improve the looks of the game and new features and whatnot. And it ended up taking 10 to 15 years of development uh, instead of... A, a more regular kind of production time to a, um, let's say, a, a more or less gray result. Perfect. Great. Great explanation. And that clears a, a lot up for, for a lot of people and myself as well. So thank you, Jen. But Benoit, let's, let's come to you then on the back of that question and the, and the explanation there. What are your yeah. thoughts? Um, well, it's a huge question. And how do you avoid that or how can you control this? Once again, I'm very happy that I'm not a producer because it's usually on their shoulder that this kind of question hands, though I see it now. Uh, from, let's say, the, the floor point of view, uh, you have to become, you have to become narrow, narrower and narrower. Like You have to become narrow in your flexibility, in your creativity, in your time left as well. I believe, because I've been on projects I've stretched through uh, time, and then that's why I noticed I was uh, perhaps too young to notice this or to intervene, but at some point, like when you should engage and take risk, people go back into about dreaming and experimenting, and that's not a good idea. You have to restrain yourself, and that's an art in itself. That's very hard. There's no like quick trick for that, silver bullets. It's simply very difficult to do. And you need to have a good leadership and good people on the floor that goes towards the same objective. At some point, that's why you have gates. So we're in alpha. So we're reducing this amount of creativity. We're focusing more on this kind of ships and we're making cuts as well. So I think that's the key word, become more narrow. 
you have to force yourself. And there's nothing more terrible than just a bunch of designers creating a game. Some of them achieve that and making great results, but usually it's not a fantastic way or fantastic team to do it because you keep on iterating, you keep on dreaming, and that can lead to yeah, those issues. Mm. At least that's my point of view. Really good point of view. And let, well, let's go to Anna, obviously, as a producer, then Anna, what are your thoughts? Well, my one-liner is time boxing is critical. <laughs> like, I, I know that it's easy, especially in early stages of uh, a project, exploring certain ideas, concepts, where everything is just so vague and you're just trying things out just to see if that's even what you want to pursue. Like, even that needs to be time-boxed. You need to know... Again, uh, what had came up earlier is like the, the boundaries. You need to set even to, even if it's the most creative part of the project, it still needs some even broad boundaries. You need to know what is reasonable, how far you could go uh, in terms of like revisiting ideas, tech, um, because in the end of the day, you do want to make a game uh, so <laughs> you need to get closer to that and um so then it becomes a bit of a sort of it can be a bit of a conflict between uh people with a more subjective uh look into things which will be the the the, the creatives and then people like uh, production qa project managers who are more focused on the on the facts uh so more objective people uh then then just trying to come into a compromise between both because you can't just have one or the other because then it's just not manageable and uh, one of the ways to to handle this is uh to uh if things just keep dragging on whether it's one specific feature uh or uh, an overall part of the game there has to be someone that needs to make the 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 hard call at the uh, end of the day so whether that is the creative director development director it just depends on each company who will have that sort of responsibility but if if things keep dragging out if you keep having to replan that initial time box then something clearly is wrong so then you need to have that uh, kind of uh, structure in place so that someone has to say like okay enough like if we okay we need to have these things defined by then and if we don't okay we will have to choose something and we need to see who will make that call uh, both in terms of defining how long you, you can take for this and what will be uh, the, the fallback plan. Again, we come back to, to mitigation, understanding, okay, plan A didn't work out, plan B. Okay, sometimes plan C, D. Uh, we need to be prepared for that. And um, once again, involving the team in the process. They can't feel alienated from this. They can have a word to say. And, and it's a matter of just trying to uh, understand that perfection, that's not achievable, but we can still come up with pretty good games, even though like uh, we are just like very focused on that one thing that we really want. It's, it's just will never be. And then once you release the game and then you look at it as a whole, sometimes like, oh, actually it's, yeah, it's, Quite nice, yeah. 
okay, it's better <laughs> than I thought. So, um, but yeah, I think it's that sort of uh, time boxing is the best, big first step, I would say. 100%. Well, I hope a lot of people listening take that on board. And it's, it's always nice to hear, like Benoit said, obviously, if it's your sort of issue, I'm always a producer to hear from you as well. So that's good. Arthur, let's uh, let's come to you lastly then, just get your thoughts on Jen's question. Yeah, super interesting answers. And um, I do agree that having constraints is, is something necessary. And uh, you you would want to set your constraints depending on what's your production philosophy, what you're trying to achieve with, with this project. Are you completely innovating uh, on everything? Are you trying to to double down on something you learned? And um, we have a very good um, a chance uh, for us on the, the mobile market, which is that most of us are actually testing uh, games uh, very fast. And um, I know one of the issue when iterating on a game is that you have your creative leaders that try to assess if things are, are good enough and uh, would go for another iteration if they believe it's not the case. The things, uh, the thing is, on our side, we have uh, the players very quickly uh, to assess if, if uh, what we've been doing is good and uh, how they like it. And uh, we ha- we have a lot of data, qualitative, quantitative data. Uh, so I think one of the solution for for avoiding going for 1,000 iteration is actually to to market test to to test with players. Could be any any type of of test where you have this feedback and you can get a sense of okay, how far we for from our objective. And it's not only one creative person who can decide. And on our side, we've been prototyping uh, our game very fast, and we, we've been able to have first answer from uh, what players uh, liked or didn't like, which helped a lot for, for iteration afterwards and helped a lot to validate uh, things that we, we were thinking we could have done better, for example. But no, it was okay. We, we had something that worked, and we could move on to the next step. So it's also a chances uh, that, we, that we have um, on the mobile market. Jen, did you want to come back in on that as well? Yeah, just a thought. And I mean, my question was obviously uh, a bit uh, oriented towards uh, larger, larger games. Um, But I think also, the industry is gaining a lot of maturity, you know, in the past few years, I think there's been a a massive, like a massive change overall. And and as we progress, we'll see even more, uh, uh, more of a change. And 20 years ago, people would have like extremely ambitious uh, takes. I remember about, (laughs) I remember uh, uh, the, um, uh, the acorn in Fable, right? Uh, So (laughs) you plant an acorn, and you know, a few years later, there will be a tree standing there, etc. Um, and we, it was a lot harder to guess or to have a, a sense of what it would actually take to uh, deliver what we were hoping for. And also, just in terms of uh, teams themselves, uh, I think the the global, uh, you know, the, the the median age is a lot higher nowadays. So I think that we've reached an age where, you know, the industry was in its teenage years, uh, and and now we're we're gaining this maturity into something a little more uh, uh, adult-like. But definitely, we need to strike a good balance between dreaming, but also being realistic. Because it is, as creatives, it's our job is not to be realistic. It's not to have realistic expectations. It is to dream, like, I want the moon, I want the stars, I want nebulas, I want the universe. Um, But still, 
trying to be reasonable is can be an issue and that's why it's so important to have a very good collaboration and a good binome between the creative team and the production team well, i think we're getting better definitely <laughs> that's a really really good question and uh, some really good points as well so i really appreciate that and we'll move on to our very last question as well flying through these. Uh, so, Benoit, let's come to you. All right. Um, so, I guess it's a good question to finish this. Uh, it's <laughs> about end of project fatigue. So, uh, the project beginnings are usually filled with, you know, promise and hope and, and everything's possible and you're getting into that project. That's fun. That's so there's electricity in the air. And then usually the uh, the kind of the, uh, the example for the uh, gold phase, whenever like you achieve the game, especially on bigger projects, but even on smarter ones, that you're very focused most of the time and it's filled with almost negative experience and frustration. And there's like an accumulation of many things in there. So I'm wondering, how do you deal with project fatigue? Really good question. I will, let's go to Anna. Anna, how do you deal with project fatigue? Well, uh, people will, as the pressure amounts, they will be spending uh, a lot of time looking at the same thing. And again, big picture. So uh, there are things that can be set up to help with this on a regular basis. Something we do here at Black Forest Games uh, at the end of every sprint, we have a show and tell uh, session where every team can show uh, what they have been working on and it's not even though we are trying to uh, work more uh, with uh, cross-functional teams still people don't normally see everything that's going on at the same time so it's good to share uh, also for people to see to get to for their work to be seen by the whole company as well people give feedback uh, send some kudos and all of that um that's the regular one something that i really want to happen uh, as well is um team and company-wide gameplay sessions so that the game, the full game, can be played by the developers. Because one thing is to load the game through the editor and just like look at just that level, which you will be working on for months, for example, and then you don't see anything other than that. And then completely different is getting a developer to just pick up the controller and then play through the game as a player. And then seeing how people react to that, how they understand that, oh yeah, Ola, yeah, see, oh, that's what what I worked on, or like it's actually, yeah, it's it's looking much better than I expected, or it actually feels fun because of people just lose that sense because they are specialists, they are focusing on 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 small pieces of work, and and very complex problems, so they just lose sight. Of, of of the game as a whole. And I would say that, especially towards the end of the game, it's very important to bring them back and also look after them, make sure that, okay, if someone is working on a bug for over half a day, okay, maybe you should just go home, come back uh, with a fresh set of eyes tomorrow and you will find a solution in five minutes. So just discuss it with someone from a different team uh, that can help. So, it's we we really even though we have uh, targets we need to uh, uh, achieve like we need to make sure that we are there for them so that they they can see 
how things really are shaping up. And and it's not most often than not, it's not as bad as they think. Really good points. Really good points. Arthur, what about yourself? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, it's always tricky uh, to end a project or end, end the version of a project. Um, I, I think what's important is really to, to remind the big picture. Um, so, so we understand what we're trying to achieve because you have a lot of small friction, small issues. But when you come back to, okay, why are we doing this? We're trying to ship this amazing experience to players. We had this success. We had this um, cool thing that we managed to do. I think it helps a lot. That's what we try to do with, with the team. Um, also, having the team involved in, in all these, these decisions uh, that you can take at the end of the project, I think, uh, will help a lot. Um, so it's like, uh, okay, there's friction, but we are making it happening happen to all together. It's not someone that, that tells you that you need, for example, to cut this thing or, or to do this faster or, or anything. Uh, the team health overall, I think, would have a very big impact on, um, on the end of a project. So the, the healthier the team, the, the better the communication, the, um, the better the team members know each other, um, the healthier the, the stress period would be. And uh, it's really something we try to to value here at Madbox, trying to to make sure everyone has a clear ownership inside of the team and has the space to to do what they do best. Um, so in the end, when you when you are in a stress period, you you directly know who you need to talk to. You directly know who is going to be accountable for what, and you also know your team members and you have a good communication flow with them. So. I think it helps a lot. I had the best results with the with the best teams for for ending a project. And uh, the last thing I'm thinking of is um, uh, make sure we encapsulate the project is more than just a project. Like, uh, uh, it, okay, we you need to ship this project, but you're still in, in this company, and we are trying to achieve a vision that is higher than just this game. So, so okay, you're finishing this project, but what's going to come after? And uh, it's great if you, we can give a sense of, uh, okay, there's going to be maybe a new project or a new iteration, and you're already kind of excited uh, for the next steps uh, while finishing the one you're doing. And you're not just um, in the darkness of trying to finishing something and you don't really know what's going to go after. So something I'm trying to do also... Uh, as team lead, making sure the team has the big picture over the last next months and they can start getting excited and things about cool things that's going to be upcoming and not only about what uh, can be frustrating for, for finishing uh, what we're currently doing. Some more really good points, just solid advice <laughs> all the way through this. Jen, let's come to you. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, one of them is that project fatigue don't doesn't only happen at the end of a project. I've seen it happen a lot during the conception phase, especially. Um, so one thing that um, we do, and I'm, you know, it's, it's probably not applicable to everyone uh, or to every craft, but often what we'll do uh, on, uh, on the art side is do like switches. So after a while, let me, let's say a concept artist has been working on a, a specific topic, then uh, uh, they let go of that topic. They go to something new. Uh, it freshens the uh, uh, the mind. You have a, a, a different take, different perspective, um, and you're not working on the, the, the same problem solving, right? So it helps 
it it helps the uh, um, the mood of people. It's it's more uh, satisfying for them, and it's the same for the person that gets the the uh, previous assignment <laughs> that came from uh, uh, the first concept artist. So this is the kind of thing that, uh, especially during conception. Uh, works really well, but I think it's it can also very well apply to 3D art and, and, and other things. Um, the, only, the other thing that I would add to uh, the, the topic is that I think to alleviate the effects of, uh, uh, you know, the end of a project is to have, and we were talking about this earlier, but to do cuts early and to do cuts often and i don't mean often like oh let's cut everything but to um uh, go through phases where there's a reality check that's done regularly so that you don't accumulate a massive backlog of hopes and dreams and and, and tears uh <laughs> and i think that plays a lot on on morale uh, when you get to the end of a project and the backlog is so big or it's not even the backlog it's everything that we think needs to happen for uh, uh, for the delivery. Uh, so the more we address this sooner, the better I think uh, we all feel towards the end. Some really good points from everyone there, really. Uh, Benoit, to come back to you, obviously your question, just uh, you know, a little summary and, and yourself, how do you sort of, or what advice would you give? Well, the, uh, the, the funny thing here is that I didn't have an answer really. I mean, I had a couple of things in my mind, but I really wanted to hear about it. And uh, I took notes <laughs> and it goes along the what I felt and what I've lived in my career. So yeah, first off, support the team. I mean, during the, the, the closure of the game, that is a difficult moment. It's where people uh, often run with crunch and, uh, I don't know, layoff and then, and then burnout and that sort of thing. But we can, we can do something about that. That's positive management. Just preventing them from sinking in the work themselves. Designers and artists do that very much. They get too involved, even at their own risk. Um, having swapping assignation, that's a very good trick. I've been, uh, I've been done that as well. Someone moved me. I'm like, why? It's the best for me. I get a fresh eye on some, some other content, and that's very fresh for me as well. But you have to keep the project short and healthy, so it's hard to control by yourself. But if the production was short, it's usually easier, but it's difficult to do. But at best, it would be short and efficient. But you need to have a high trust level and good ownership. People believe in their game. That's good. Also very difficult to maintain, but something you build alongside the production. Uh, sanity checks and with good gates. So you, you feel that you're aiming towards a goal. That's good. Bad uh, end of project usually don't have that feeling on. People feel there's a direction and there's a destination as well. Play a lot. Yes, play a lot. You'll be surprised how many game developers don't ever play the game and almost ever. So that's a good moment to play it. And yeah, it gives sense of ownership, also the sense of results. So many people don't have a very good insight of what has been done. Uh, you need to involve the team. Do not insulate them. So you sh show and tell. It's time for a celebration and recognize the, everyone's work. That's the moment to do it. Though it's time consuming. That's the issue here. And you don't have much time at the end of a project. But yeah, I, Arthur, you're right. The sense of loss, I believe that's one of the reasons why people panic at the end. They just don't know what comes after. Like, like death. You're like, oh my <laughs> God, this is finishing. Why am I doing here? And then that's very nice to give them like a sense of what's going on afterwards. There are DLC, a sequel, another project. 
yeah, that, that can help definitely. That's a good trick. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, really appreciate it. Great last question uh, to finish on, Benoit, and some really good points from everyone. And obviously, that was our, our fourth question, which means uh, we're at the end, end of the podcast. So I'll take the opportunity to, to thank everyone, Jen, Benoit, Anna, and Arthur. Really, thank you very much for, for the questions, for the input. And hopefully, you know, everyone listening can take a lot away from that, which I'm sure they will. And that is the last podcast for me for the year as well well actually so uh, just going to say thank you to everyone who's listened to the Evolution Exchange uh, this year and thank you to all the guests that we've had on as well including you for today as well and look forward to catching up with everybody in the new year and for all the new episodes and new topics we'll talk about them but thank you very much and we'll see you soon <laughs>